98 FM's Now That's What I Call Sport Podcast. It's a very big welcome to Now That's What I Call Sport on 98 FM. 98 FM's Now That's What I Call Sport with Jamie Moore. What a weekend for Irish rugby. We'll be looking back on wins for our four Irish provinces in Europe with our main focus, of course, on Leinster's victory over Toulouse yesterday. Shane Byrne, Leo Cullen and Gary Ringrose will join us. Yeah, we're over the moon, delighted with the win here and, and be able to score four tries against such a good side. Ireland's Padraig Harrington will captain Team Europe at the Ryder Cup on American soil next year. We'll ask him if he's already feeling the pressure almost two years before the biggest golf tournament on the planet. This is not like premiership football. If I do a bad job, I don't get another go. Mm. It's one and done. There is an element of pressure. And then we'll bring you an interview with a young Irish footballer who missed almost two and a half years of his career after he was told he'd never play again after this injury. Back early in 2016, February, I was playing away at Hibernian for Morton. Just a simple cross and my kneecap had come off. Then I spent the next 28 months, well, 28 of the hardest months of my life after that, trying to find doctors and surgeons to come back and try and play. Like I said, it was was the toughest part of my life, but I'm back playing now and I'm enjoying it. That's Dubliner Conor Pepper. He'll be our main guest on today's show. We'll also find out why undercover spying has been going on in the League of Ireland for years. 98 FMs. Now that's what I call sport. We shall begin, though, with a super Saturday for Irish rugby. And 98 FM's Nathan Whelan joins me in studio. Hello, sir. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good. Yourself? Good. I can't complain. Now, it wasn't just Leinster doing the winning yesterday. Yeah, it wasn't. All four provinces were in European action and all four with a win. In the Champions Cup, Munster looked very impressive with a 41-15 win away at Gloucester. Ulster had an incredible 26-22 win over Racing 92 in Belfast, handing the French side their first defeat of the campaign. While in the Challenge Cup, Connacht won 20 points to 18 against the Sale Sharks at the sports ground. But closer to home, Leinster had a very impressive 29-13 win over Toulouse at the RDS. Tries from Jack Cohn and Dave Carney, Sean Cronin and Adam Byrne capped off a solid display with Ross Bourne at 10 in for the injured Johnny Sexton with some big names like Rob Kearney, James Lowe and Devon Toner also out makes the win all that more impressive. Leinster now sit top of pill one with one round left as they travel to Wasps on Friday who are yet to get a win. A win would certainly cement top spot for the Blues. Yes, let's hear now from the Leinster head coach Leo Cullen who was very pleased with their win especially given they were missing a number of key players. I think it's just a part and parcel of the game now are injuries so um, at certain stages during the season you're going to have to you know, deal with a certain amount of injuries without. I think every coach has had to deal with it. Um, so you need to invest. I think you know what we try to do is invest in some of the younger guys during the course of the year, so making sure they're ready when they get their chance. So um, very, very positive step for a lot of guys. Yes, a very windy day at the RDS yesterday, and Leo Cullen also spoke about their game plan about the first half and the second half, playing with and playing against the wind in front of almost 19,000 fans at a packed RDS just up the road from us here in 98 FM. The man of the match was Gary Ringrose, and he says the roar of the crowd helped them. Yeah, I think any time you play against Toulouse um, and with how well they're playing, you, know, you really can't take for granted um, you know, beating them because it's not many teams can do it and not many more teams will. I've no doubt that, that they'll learn from that and improve off the back of it. So, um, yeah, we're over the moon against it. Sorry, in a packed-out RDS, which is, as I was saying, the lucky guys that go out to represent the group, really. It's a special occasion to get out here playing in front of a packed-out RDS, and, and we're grateful for all the people that, that paid to show up and, and support us, and it, it does pay off when we're out there. Now, it's time to welcome a man who knows all about winning big games for Leinster, as well as the Lions and Ireland. Shane Byrne, how are you? 
How are we doing? Great stuff, Shane, yourself? Yeah, very good. Couldn't be better. Shane ready to go on a, on a big climb because tomorrow he's off to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And you're getting ready, of course, for the 1st of February, which is the small matter of Ireland v England legends at the RDS the day before the Six Nations begins. So your training is well and truly in full swing. Yeah, <laughs> you can say that again. A bit of busy time coming up with all the organisation trying to get everybody to come down and join us uh, great cause for the Doddy Weir Foundation and uh, injured players and everybody knows it's a fantastic day out so come down and join us February 1st RDS 7pm uh, and uh, yeah doing Kilimanjaro in between so uh, I'll just be back in time to get the boots on and get out on the pitch again very nice very nice and speaking of getting out on the pitch the headlines in today's newspapers Baby Blue steal the show no Johnny Sexton no Rob Carney no James Lowe no Robbie Henshaw no Sean O'Brien no Devin Toner no problem says the Sun newspaper and Shane the Sun weren't wrong isn't it unbelievable like you know what a weekend firstly for Irish rugby there's no doubt about it but Leinster's performance really topped it I, I think you know you could say it all depends on what way you look at it but you could say nine internationals missing from that team we've always talked and lauded how fantastic Leo Cullen's squad is with Leinster but this was the first time we were all a bit you know a bit worried because there were such huge experience experienced players missing and uh, and we all know that topped off with the World Player of the Year, Johnny Sexton. And it, it was a bit of a concern heading into this game because Toulouse, before this game, had been on a 12-game uh, winning run. They were playing in the European Cup as if they had forgotten about the last decade of how terrible they had been. And they were playing fantastic rugby. And they came over here full of hope, calling this, that they were treating it as a final and Leinster just didn't listen to a word that anyone said about it and just absolutely tore into them. And every player that we needed to step up did. And I think um, in particular, uh, you know, Ross Byrne needs to get plenty of, of attention for that. You know, Gary Ringrose, I think, became a senior player uh, that uh, yesterday because he just he needed to step up in defence and attack and just be a leader considering the experience or lack of of the players around him and uh, oh boy did he do it in style become man the match by the end of the game yeah we heard from Ringrose earlier on on the show Shane and he spoke as well about you know the RDS and 19,000 just under 19,000 at the game a sellout and had the match been at the Aviva Stadium it probably would have been sold out there 50,000 as well but there is definitely something special about big Leinster moments and big Leinster wins at an old-style RDS, either under the lights or in the case of yesterday in the afternoon time. And, you know, you've played there many times, of course, as well. But there's just something really, really nice about that place being packed, it being so old-looking and the team being so brilliant there. Yeah, a very deliberate decision made by Leinster. They usually do when they have a big European game. They usually tip down the road to the Aviva Stadium, which, again, is, is no bad thing. The atmosphere there is fantastic. But deliberately to keep it in the RDS, to keep it as the cauldron there and the massive, massive success rate. I think we're back to 2015, I think it is, that they had a loss there. And, you know, that's, you know, they wanted to bring Toulouse to a very hostile atmosphere and the noise was absolutely incredible. Um, part of the game, you know, you, and you listen to any of the commentators, radio, TV, you could hear the volume. 
there. The Leinster supporters are so important to to Leinster, to the players when they get going and, you know, the volume that 19,000, well, let's say 18,000 and 1,000 <laughs> to lose, maybe, uh, that they honestly really spurred the team on to what was an incredible performance. Shane, you mentioned Ross Byrne there and he came into the starting team for Johnny Sexton, the World Player of the Year and the Leinster captain, mm. of course. And, you know, this time last year, Ross would have probably been number three in that position because Joey Carberry, who has been starring now for Munster, was also at Leinster as well. So I know that was in Ross's fourth European start yesterday, but he's just been so, so good. And again, for Leo Cullen, all these young players who are in the background when the senior pros are playing have proved again that when needed, they can do it. Yeah, but that's it. That's Leo's squad. That's the way it is. Like, there's so many players that, you know, are on another team would be regular starters. They would never be off the team. But as they're in Leinster, which is the best team in Europe, that they are there and they're part of the squad. Some weeks they're on, some weeks they're not. Ross Byrne was certainly one of them, as you were saying last year. He was in rotation of three and probably sitting in third position. Fantastic player, great control. Uh, you know, probably doesn't have the individual flair or the, you know, magic, be able to pull something magic out of the box as Sexton does. But such, you know, these don't sound like great words, but such a steady player, you know, he, his crossfield kick was immaculate. His place kicking was superb. His game management was brilliant. In fact, it was great to see the way on a personal front, I think it was one of the first phases, he himself took the ball on and crashed it up, you know, which would have cost Toulouse, you know, by surprise because when you expect the guy being put in at out half, you expect him to sit back a bit deep, but he took it on the line and crashed it right up and just showed him, look, you're going to have to watch me as well. But right throughout it, and he had to put his body on the line a few times for defensively, and as there was huge defensive patches in this game as well, and he epitomised everything that was great about that performance by this, it has to be said, you know, young team, Shane, over the last couple of years, Leinster in certain quarters have been a little bit criticised for lauding young players and keeping too many of them in the squad, even though they're not playing as much as maybe they'd like. And we've seen some players decide to leave to go to other places to get more game time. But Leo Cullen did speak earlier on. We heard from him about you know the investment that they put in youth. And that's just not a financial investment. It's it's time, it's energy, it's work on the training pitch as well. It's scouting across you know all the best young players in the country, probably from the age of 12 or 13 and that is really paying dividends now about you know having a squad of 35 or 40 that when these injuries do come you do have top top young players in this country ready and waiting in the wings and Leinster won't really care what other people think of, of their philosophy because clearly it works Oh absolutely without any doubt um, the proof is what they've been doing for the last couple of seasons not just right now and you know, Leo was, was I, I think I read somewhere this morning that Leo states as well that he's giving bad news every single week to somebody. You know, there's you know, the competition within the squad is so intense that no matter what way it is, no matter what way an injury depletes his squad he might have, he's still giving somebody who wanted to have a go, who thought he was ready to get into that team. And it just generates this absolute atmosphere within the whole squad that, you know, nobody, no matter where they step up to play, no matter whether it's Zebra away or, you know, Leicester at home, no matter what it is, it's a game that they will not let the pressure off, that they know this is their opportunity and they will get it because that's the great thing that Leo does. If you're good enough, 
he'll put you in. And, um, you know, everything about it is just leading to a case where, like, you've got the, the senior guys who, who came in again in the forwards. Reese Ruddock is, you know, captain the side, was superb. The whole back row, Jack Conan, who actually you could say is probably was under a bit of pressure. His form had slipped a little bit because Max Deegan has been playing very, very well. Uh, had a superb game. Scott Fardy just never, ever stopped working. And, and we all know when the squad is full, he doesn't get a start. And so many of these players are all benefiting from this atmosphere, this squad, what Leo Cullen has put together. And Shane, as well, it's probably impossible to buy the experience of you know, a really important match yesterday and Leo did speak about he felt there was some added pressure on the players given the fact that they were coming into the game in second place and, you know, if to lose one it would have made things really difficult for Leinster of course as well and the fact that so many young players played as well heading in now hopefully to the quarter-final stage and of course there's loads more to come as well for Leinster but to play in a pressure game that really probably was a must-win that's again an experience in the pool stages over the years that Leinster haven't always had but they had that yesterday and that'll stand everybody who was involved in it in really good stead moving forward yeah well look this round five um, I don't think I've ever seen it so pivotal for the four Irish provinces it it was very definitely a, a decider round you know there were so many of the, of the pools have taken a completely different shape now because of the results over the weekend and Leinster it was part of that if, if they had lost or had a poor results the group kind of would have slipped them away. Now, they would be probably, considering what they have next week and Toulouse have next week, there's a fair chance that both of them will get through. That's probably where they're going. But it's all back completely in Leinster's hands. And that's the way Leo would have looked at this, was that plain and simply put themselves in a position where their destiny is back in their own hands and not have it decided by anyone else. Obviously, the home quarter final is something that um, is what they want. That's the main goal but, uh, you know, just getting through, first and foremost, was decided in this fifth round because, you know, as I say, it could have gone completely awry if they had let this game slip. Great stuff, Shane Byrne. Thanks a million. All right, man. Take care. You're on there. That's what I call sports on Dublin's 98FM. Jamie Moore on Sunday, just before 20 past nine. And a reminder, if you miss anything from the show ever, you can listen back for fu- for full, for free and in full in the podcast section of 98fm.com, including our chat last weekend with Shane Carthy, Dublin All-Ireland winner in 2013, all about his blog, about you know possible suicide and depression. Now he's on the other side, and um, you can also watch that interview on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Now on the way off the break here on 98fm, Europe's Ryder Cup captain Padraig Harrington will be on the show, plus Dubliner Connor Pepper on why he wouldn't take no for an answer when doctors told him to quit playing professional football Age just 21. 98 FMs. Now that's what I call sport. With the Liverpool Football Club Store. Ilex Centre. 98 FM. Good morning. You're very welcome back. It's just after 20 past nine on Sunday in Dublin and Nathan is back beside me. Now Nathan, the Dublin footballers into the O'Byrne Cup final after a very rare occurrence really. A penalty shootout win at Parnell Park over the old enemy Meath last night. It couldn't get much better than that when you say it like that but the O'Byrne Cup semi-finals did see Dublin and Meath finishing 1-12 apiece at the end of normal time. It was a tough and fast-paced game which is tightly contested with a very young side fielded by Jim Gavin. Great experience for the lads going forward and going to penalties. It did finish 3-1 on penalties. Those Dublin penalties scored by Aaron Bourne, Oisin Lynch and Conor McHugh sees the boys in blue into the O'Byrne Cup final on Friday against Westmead throwing us at 8pm at Parnell Park. Now, there were some issues with this new hand pass rule. 
Yeah, see, the thing is, it was called up twice during the game and people sort of reacted a bit badly to it on Twitter. It restricts the number of hand passes to three in any one move. So basically, after every three hand passes, you have to kick pass or make a different pass. And uh, on Twitter, people reacted saying it influenced the game in a negative way. Stop starting, stop starting. So it'll be interesting to see if the rule does keep its place going forward. Yes, now the Dublin Hurlers in action again later on at Parnell Park and they're trying to book their place in the Walsh Cup final. Yeah, they face Galway at 2pm at Parnell Park today. So get down and support the lads if you can. Maddie Kenny looks to keep his undefeated start going. Yes, I think they've won all their games so far under Maddie Kenny as well. It will be great for them to make uh, the final as well of uh, the Walsh Cup. That throw-in is at 2 o'clock at Parnell Park. Now, this is one of the best stories I've ever heard. And for those who haven't heard it, on Friday night in the English Championship, Leeds, who are top of the table, they're top of the table by four points. They beat Derby County 2-0. But before the match, there was a lot of controversy when the Leeds manager... Marcelo Bielsa, was questioned by Sky Sports about sending a member of staff or a spy to watch the derby training the day before and get the tactics and the injuries and the team. So here's what Bielsa said to Sky Sports. and He was fairly... What's the word I'm looking for? Didn't really care that he was caught. Marcelo, there was an incident at the derby training ground yesterday, they say involving a member of the Leeds staff. What do you know about this? Es cierto, es real. It's true there was someone from Leeds United. Eh, el responsable de, de que esa persona estuviera soy yo. The, the responsible of this uh, incident is me. I'm the responsible for it. I'm the only responsible for it because I didn't ask uh, for the permission uh, of the club of Leeds United to do that. I've been using this kind of practice since the, the qualifications for the World Cup with eh, Argentina. This is not uh, unlawful. Uh, this is not illegal. This is not illegal. It's so hilarious that the man can't speak a word of English and he's a great football manager. But speaking of great football managers, Nathan, a man called Collie O'Neill, friend of the show here, UCD manager in the League of Ireland, led them to the First Division title last year. Now, he was a coach in the League of Ireland before he was a manager. And he tweeted yesterday to say, I'm laughing at the Leeds Spygate story. I did, instructed by a genius manager, the exact same thing at Dublin City in 2005 when we had Shamrock Rovers in the playoffs. I hid behind the bushes in the A-Well watching Rovers train. The team team was picked off the back of that spying session and we won. Just goes to show cheating always prospers, kids. No, don't don't cheat, it's bad. <laughs> so all of the Shamrock Rovers ultras are now waiting for Collie O'Neill outside the UCD Bowl, I'm sure, to beat him up for this admission. Well, that's such a stupid thing to tweet and isn't it by Collie O'Neill? See, there's a load of reaction coming from this Spygate story and I had a really funny one that came from Gary O'Neill. He's a great follow on Twitter and he was asked about the incident and he said, I can't agree with it, but I admire him for fronting up and also stating he's always done it. In Spain, for example, it's quite normal. And someone replied saying, who was your, Spain, who was your spy in Spain, guys? Stevie Wonder. Obviously referring to his horrendous time in charge of Valencia. So yes, Gary Neville, a slow dig there. He was on Sky Sports now. It was a great pun that managed Valencia for a while and they didn't really win too many matches. I think they lost 7-0 against Barcelona as well. So two replies to that tweet by Collie O'Neill. One from Dr. Seamus Kelly, who's a sports psychologist and involved in lots of uh, football in Ireland. He said, absolutely, a few well-known League of Ireland assistant managers and managers were often spotted, in inverted commas, walking their dogs in close proximity to the AUL and Alza, which is where a lot of League of Ireland teams trained and they're kind of open pitches and there are people there that do walk their dogs and you could have the hood up and you could just walk the dog and have the little video camera or something. 
I suppose it's cheating in the League of Ireland is coming, uh, it's becoming a thing now. I suppose people will be training intense now with all this uh, this news coming out. Yes, uh, now one lady who doesn't cheat is Katie Taylor and news this week, great news on St. Patrick's Day. She could have, Nathan, three world title belts around her waist. Yeah, she has her, two at the moment. She two, she has two at the moment. Her promoter, Eddie Hearn of Matchroom Boxing, has come out to confirm Katie Taylor's next fight. Taylor's hoping to add that to her belt. She has the WBA and IBF and she's looking to add the, I, the WBO sorry, belt, but she'll have to go through Rose Volante, which is set for Paddy weekend. Volante is also undefeated. The Brazilian holds a record of 14 and also should be a great fight for that third belt. Yeah, Katie is 12 and now as a professional as well and that fight in Philadelphia on March 16th. Now Nathan, we have about a minute left of our roundup. Tell me about the latest involving Conor McGregor. We're going to hear from him in just a second. But... He was maybe fighting a Japanese kickboxer for a load of money in some sort of special rules fight. That's off. But now, one of his sparring partners, Paulie Malinaji, who is a pro boxer, who helped McGregor prepare for the fight against Floyd Mayweather, now wants a boxing match against McGregor, I think. Well, everyone wants to fight McGregor. Darren Till has come out recently and said that's his dream fight is against McGregor. So one thing you'll always be assured of is rumours follow McGregor around. But this one apparently has a bit of substance to it because apparently they're in negotiations for a boxing match. Malinazzi was obviously one of Connor's training partners for the Mayweather-McGregor tour where he sort of, you know released videos and uh, pictures of McGregor basically beating up Paulie Malinazzi which didn't, he didn't take too well to obviously he's a former pro boxer himself but there are rumours they are in negotiations and Conor recently put up this video on his Instagram which should tell you more I told you when you came what are you saying what are you saying what are you saying don't be don't be get over it you bring your balls Conor get over it you bring your balls Conor did you bring your balls back? All sparring. Remember what I said? When you quit like a bitch, Zach. I'm a fighter, relax. Yes, great stuff from Paulie Malinaggi. I'm a fighter relaxed as he's being dragged away from McGregor by an American cop. So, uh, yeah, some, uh, some funny stuff, but will that happen? In a word? Uh, no. Okay, it won't. It won't. A publicity stunt as usual. As usual. Keep your name in the people's mouths. Keep you famous. Okay, now earlier this week, Padraig Harrington was announced as the European Ryder Cup captain for 2020 on American soil. He joined Joe Malloy on Off the Ball and Joe began by asking him how the last couple of days had had, uh, had gone after the announcement. It's been pretty busy even though it's only 24 hours now. I'm actually, well, I suppose at the start I shouldn't be surprised, but it's, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I'm sure you're getting lots of congratulations and lots of well wishes and, and uh, I guess a slightly surreal thing as well that it's finally here and it's real and it's happening and it's all kicking off. A little bit scary, that. Yeah, it kind of says you're getting to the end of your career, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's here. It is, and I, I really mean it, it is here. Uh, it's, that's certainly been brought home over the last couple of days, not just with the well wishes and the texts and things like that, but just with the... Uh, it's kind of it's a different uh, feel to us. You know, I'm, I'm not my own boss anymore. Were you nervous yesterday, as a matter of interest, when you were stepping out to face the media? You know, I didn't think I was, but when I finished up the media yesterday, I was wiped, and that that's unusual for me now at this stage. Uh, like, I, I clearly the pre the couple of hours before and during it, it wasn't that long. It was only three hours of media actually, but build up on that, it. it it took much more out of me than I expected. Uh, it, it, it reminded me, you know, if I did a talk 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it would take me a long time to recover. Now it's run-of-the-mill stuff. Uh, you know, I can mm. do it and I'm fine. Mm. This this really wiped me. And even today, 
<laughs> your listeners are not going to like me for this, but I basically went for the bed, to the bed yesterday afternoon and I did the same again today. It is a big thing, whether you, as you, as you, if you win or lose. It will um, follow you around a little bit. You will be remembered by a generation for it. Uh, it struck me you were, you were certainly aware of that. Yeah, look, I, I, this, I'm going to be 49. I'm 47 now. I'm going to be 49 when it, when it happens. Uh, and it, there's an element of this, oh, it's my time. You've, done, you've won your three majors. It's, it, it's payback for your career in Europe. Walk into the job and do the job because you're the man. Yeah. But do I really want to do it? I'm, I'm not going to do it for the sake of doing it. And I had to sit back and look at that and see, well, do I want to put this on the line? Do I feel I'm capable of managing a team just because I've had a good career hitting a little white ball, ball around the golf course? Yeah. They're two different jobs. Yeah. Uh, they really are. And, you know, I said this yesterday, this is not like Premier Premiership football. If I do a bad job, I don't get another go. Mm. It's one and done. Mm. Uh, so there is there is an element of pressure. And, and if you fail, even if you're a good captain, if you fail, people will find reason for fault. If you win... And you're not a great captain. They're overlooked. You you just had a win, so it, it is very black and white. The, yeah. the Ryder Cup. Yeah. And uh, you know you got. I I just wanted to make sure I understood what I was going into. If in a perfect world with timing behaving itself, if you could control time and and, and circumstances, would you have chosen to do it at home? Obviously, you have the greater chance of winning. Or did you fancy a crack at doing it on U.S. soil? No, I look. I, I look. That was a big consideration. It, it, it clearly is easier to win a home. The home captain can get more involved, get has more control. Mm. But if you were to look at the... I, I, I don't want to be a... What's the word I'm looking for? But if you were to look at the, the greater scheme of things, it suits the European tour for me to take it away. Yeah. In, you know, to play in the US, I have a good profile in the US and they need that for... For everything about the Ryder Cup over there, not not just trying to win the match, but the brand of the Ryder Cup, they need to have a player who who has a profile. So it really suits that I do it away from home. Uh, I, I, but age, everything suited, and this is what we were talking about earlier. Everything fell into place that this is my time. Mm. As long as I decided that I really wanted it to be my time, and and you know that's what I needed to get my head around. So with the course then out of your control, what do you expect will take up? A lot, or the majority of your thinking time, or your, you, you know, when you're daydreaming, having a cup of coffee, will it be, will it be partnerships? Will it be getting the selection process right so you have guys informed that suit the course, that so you can somehow manipulate the selection process in so much as you can to get the right guys in the team? Is it, is it vice captains? Might there, frankly, be months where you're not doing very much? I think there will be months where I'm not doing very much, but but as it gets closer to those selections, there's just too many things I have to do. I obviously have to make sure I select players that improve the team, not necessarily the, the best, not necessarily the 10 to 11, 12 yeah. best players. I've got to pick guys to add to the players who've qualified on merit. And secondly, then I, well, part of that is, is I've got to know the personalities of the players so that I can match their golfing personalities so I can match them up on the golf course and their personality so that I know how to interact with them off the golf course and get the most out of them. Mm. So that's, that's really my job. To be honest, because of being vice captain and because of uh, having played a number of years, I reasonably have an idea of what I need to do 
I suppose, for the things I know. But the things I don't know, that's the problem. Yeah. You know, there's, there are unknowns. There's going to be curveballs, and I, I just have to try. And I suppose you can't predict everything, but I've got to try and have a, a, some plan in place when things change and mm. don't go right. And, mm. and so just just to try and cover not being retrospective when I'm there. Yeah. That well, if I can get ahead of it, and even if things go wrong, that I might have seen what was going to happen, but, you know, I, I can figure a way around. On the way after the break. On the, that's what I call sport here on Dublin's 98FM. We're going to be joined by Connor Pepper. He played against Celtic and Rangers as a teenager, but when his kneecap fell off in a game, he was told his career was over. But that didn't stop him. We'll hear the full story next on 98. 98FM's Now That's What I Call Sport with the Liverpool Football Club Store. Ilex Centre. 98FM. You're on Now That's What I Call Sport on Dublin's 98FM. It's Jamie Moore here with you every Sunday morning between 9am and 10am. We also repeat the show on Now That's What I Call Sport extra on Sunday evenings if you're not a, a morning person between 11pm and midnight and everything from the show for free and in full in the podcast section of 98fm.com and I'm very happy to welcome a young Irish footballer to the show Mr Connor Pepper how are you Connor? How's it going Jay? How are you? Great thanks now thanks for having a chat with me Connor. Now Connor is a player currently playing for Glen Torn up in Northern Ireland and yesterday they won their first game for well quite a long time but for Connor he's very very happy just to be playing football at all after a very serious knee injury suffered while playing in Scotland he played here in Dublin for Port Marnock where he's from joined Cherry Orchard then joined St. Pat's under 19 before moving to Inverness in Scotland then to Morton and then back to Ireland unsure if he'd ever play football again but after months and months of rehab he signed for Glen Torn and he's played almost every game this season apart from the ones when he was a bit of a bold boy and picking up some yellow cards and was suspended so he's going to tell us his whole story exactly what it was like to be a young footballer, living away from home, told you'll never play football again. So, Connor, let's go straight to the day in question. Tell me who you were playing for, who was against, where it was, and what happened. Uh, away at Hibs, uh, with Hibernian, um, on February the 24th, 2016. So, it was, I think it was a midweek game, so it was a Tuesday night, I remember it. Um, just the usual stuff, the preparation. We arrived at uh, Hibs, so big crowd, big stadium one of the ones that we're all looking to play in when, when we're over there. Um, and it was like any other game. And, well, to be fair, we were actually, I think we were 2 or 3 nil up against Hibs by this point. We were having a good game. Um, and then I was playing right back, the usual cross football that, that I would do hundreds of times a day, really training. Um, and then that's when the incident happened. So what exactly happened? And if people haven't seen as well, there's... You know, and I love very good sports photos. This is not a very good sports photo because it's Connor on a stretcher with his hands on his head, knowing what had happened with four people with the stretcher. But what actually happened, and how soon did you know that it was really bad? Um, what actually happened is a lot of people would dislocate their knee just out to the side um, and just have have a knee dislocation. Um, mine actually came up from the side, came off and and back down and and hit my leg. So I, I pretty much ruined the the back of my kneecap at the time um, and I knew straight away as soon as it happened it felt like someone had gone in and stabbed me in the back of the leg with a, with a knife or something I knew straight away I was just sort of holding the holding the grass and and, and saying politely how, how sore I was I'm sure you weren't uh, too polite at that time we always see on TV you know the medical team treating a player on the pitch and you go into the tunnel and all the crowd and the manager might tap you on the chest and say, I hope you're okay. But what actually happens to a professional footballer when you go into the tunnel and you go into the dressing room or maybe straight to an ambulance when you're not in the gaze of everybody watching, but it's probably a really important time in the treatment process? Yeah, well, I'd, 
obviously I'd got on the stretcher by this point um, all the medical staff and our physios had sort of picked me up and I was going along the touchline then some of the Hibs fans thought I, thought I was faking it I think um, I went into the dressing room and it's just silence the doctor the club doctor comes down tries to do a couple of little small tests on it see try and um, narrow down what they think it could be I couldn't bend my leg or nothing um, it started to kind of swell already um, and and then just after that they're just saying look hopefully we'll get some scans and we'll get to the bottom of it and see, see the uh, seriousness of the injury Um after that, then the managers and the players just come in and, and they're all just doing the same. Hopefully, we'll get the results back and it's okay. Yeah, and if we just go back to before the injury happened, Connor had signed and, you know, was doing really well for Inverness and had played against Celtic and Rangers, you know, two of the massive clubs in Scotland played in, I think, in Ibrox and in Celtic Park as well. So at that stage, things were going really, really well for you and this was clearly a big blow. Yeah, well, uh, there was a change of manager at Inverness and the usual happened. He maybe didn't see me in his plans, so I left and went to Morton and I won the league. And then by this year, I'd reinvented myself. I started playing at right-back, which was new for me. I was always a midfielder. I was playing right-back at the time. I'd played every single game that season. We were in the playoffs, like I said. We were away at Hibs and 3-0 up. We had a decent side. Um, so once all that was sort of going well, this this was just like a real... <laughs> hitting the brick wall yeah and if we talk about the timeline from February 2016 when this happened there was a small recurrence in July August time after a period of five or six months of rehab then there was another scare in October then there was another scare in December so you had you know been through the, the initial process of recovery and rehab and it just wasn't right for you and, and there were many setbacks in that period in the new year 2017 in Jan and Feb you met some surgeons they said stop playing yeah. and then you met a new surgeon in April time in London when you had a second operation so where in the process was this this attempted the reserve game and, and when did you meet the surgeon who was eventually the man to fix you yeah so after the the injections I think that was about November 2016 that was after I'd come back and re-injured and then this was the second time I'd re-injured again so this had now got to about December time I lined out for the reserves which is a big thing the club put it out on, the thing, on their media that obviously I'd nearly been out for a year at this point I'd been out for 10 months I got back into a reserve game um, played the first half looked the levels maybe not as high as what a first team game is but it was just nice to be back out put machine guards on and things like that and then in, I'd got through 45 minutes I thought yeah everything's going alright and then sure enough I pushed it out of my feet and went to maybe clip something a little bit longer I think it was like 20-30 yards out to a winger and then pop again and I, and I knew then, like that, that was, that was it. Then the pain was back. Um, I could get myself up off the ground when this happened, when these things would happen. So I'd get up and walked off. I walked straight by the physios. People were trying to grab me, and I, I was crying my eyes out. Went into the dressing room. I sat down on the ground, up against the wall. And the manager was coming in, saying, "Jim Duffy was the manager." Um, and he was going, look, we'll find, we'll get to the bottom of, we'll get to the bottom of. I, I, by this point, I'd re-injured three times. I'd seen two different surgeons in Scotland. I'd been down to London for injections. Uh, at this point, there was, the, I didn't really know what to think. I was just crying, and like I said, the manager was just trying to console me. Um, and then I got in the next day to train, and I didn't really want to be there. I was crying my eyes out again, nearly. The manager, the manager actually sent me home, um, and and we just really needed to, to, to just step away and rethink where we were going to go with it so what sort of words would you use to describe how you were feeling mentally at this time and I think we forget as well with young Irish players abroad is that 
they're living either in digs or in the case of Connor, he had an apartment and, you know, you're not sure what family and friends are around and there's certainly not as many people around them as there would be if they were here in Ireland. For example, if you were to get injured again now, which would you won't, you've got your family home to go back to. So how were you feeling then and what sort of support structures did you have to help you? Yeah, well, it, it got pretty tough, to be honest. Um, I was only on the phone because after this reserve game, I was... I had to drive back to my flat but I got in the car and I was crying my eyes I was trying to explain to my dad what had happened my dad was like just trying to calm me down um, just looked, he just said look get a cup of coffee get a cup of tea go and sit down in your, in your couch relax try and breathe and we'll, we'll see where we go This I just was all over the place um, the in, the injury was a part of this part because I, at this point I'd done all the hard rehab and then I got told that maybe I didn't do it properly or I didn't do this right and I knew it myself I was working as hard as I possibly could and then I would keep getting re-injured um, so I would most of the days I would, I would go to the gym come home sit in the flat maybe go to the gym again come home sit in the flat and it was just starting to get a little bit a little bit too much for me this point so that was why I think at this point the manager actually sent me home for two weeks sent me back to Dublin for two weeks just to try and regroup um, be- and did you get any mental help did you get did you see anybody you know experts in that area apart from the experts for the the actual injury you know for the mental kind of trouble you were going through yeah so a little bit later once because at this point i hadn't done so i came home and then i went back and then when i sort of started to see the surgeons again in scotland about maybe never playing again that my, everything collapsed then around me i just kind of i'd went so um jim duffy knew it he pulled me a couple of times before training and that and said, look, there's something wrong. And he tried to send me here and there. So eventually Jim Duffy phoned me up and said um, about the PFA because actually it was one one of the times I was coming home and I actually found a real good friend of mine, Andrew Barman. Um, he used to play for Morton. I knew him before Morton. And I found him to just say, look, I need help. Um, that was a big thing. Like, I didn't really want to do that. Um, and he actually let me go and live with him. He, he's a bit older than me now, he's 32. Um, I trust him. Uh, and he brought me to his house and I actually moved in with Andrew for, I'd say, the guts of about two months after that um, while still seeing the PFA and still seeing seeing people like that probably couple, maybe two or three times a month um, just to try and get my head around things and maybe see what I was going to do after football because, like I said, at this point, I, I wasn't going to be playing again. Um and, and then that was that. You're on 98 FM, it's, that's what I call sport with Jamie Moore here on Sunday. If you're just tuning in, I'm sitting here with a young man called Connor Pepper who is now thankfully playing again for Glen Torn up in the Northern Ireland Premier League, but he's telling us about the, the real tough time he had after a very serious injury picked up in February 2016. Connor, tell me about the comparison between the meetings you have with the surgeons who tell you you're never going to play again to the surgeon who you find who actually says, you know what, I can actually help you, I can actually fix you, and ultimately... That's what he did, but they, I think, you know, from, from the time of Jan Feb when you were told, don't play, when it comes to April, you find this man who says, well, actually, I can, I can help you. And I'm sure, you know, the emotions sitting in the doctor's office for, from those two scenarios are very, very different. Yeah, well, like, like I said, so this time Jim Duffy had sent me to a surgeon that, that, that deals with Celtic and Rangers players. Um, Ross Hall's a private hospital in, just in Glasgow. So I went in there, um, and the first time I went, I went myself, um, and he was trying to explain it, and... Not that he wasn't really getting to the point, but he was kind of. He obviously knew I was sitting there myself, and he was maybe humming and on, and maybe trying to get around the point. But I knew what had happened then, so I got in the car, and my hands were shaking, and I phoned Jim Duffy to say, well, try and repeat what he'd said, and it just 
I, I don't really remember the conversation. I barely remember the drive home. Um, so at this point then, my dad flew over and then he came in with the physios to speak to him. And we went in and he was speaking to him and he started to say all the other stuff. And by this point, I got I started to get a little bit angry. Me and my dad were in the car and we were probably fighting on the way back to the apartment. I was saying, you're not listening to what he's saying. My dad's saying, maybe that's not true. I don't really agree with this or agree with that. Um, and to be honest, in the end, my dad was the one who made me go and see the other surgeon. My dad done so much research um, trying to find people who were knee specialists and knee, who, who dealt with this. And my, my dad had found a surgeon down in London called Professor Adrian Wilson. Um, so my dad kind of contacted the hospital down there and the surgeon actually got back to him pretty quickly within about a week or two and for, for someone as high up as this guy, he was pretty pretty good. So... We, he asked us to build up a report from the beginning. Um, <clears throat> we built, we made the report, my physios, me and my dad, and we made it and we sent it down the road. Um, he phoned us back up within, I'd say, two weeks and says, look, I think I know what the problem is here. Um, I'd like you to come and see me and we can maybe have a discussion about it. So me and my dad, we went to London. We met the the surgeon um and he put a couple of pages down in front of me, stapled together. It said a ligament on it, my, something to do with my kneecap, so that's getting technical. And then uh, I opened it up, and the symptoms of what was happening to me was on the sheet of paper, and I was going up to every doctor, and all my, my manager had said, he, he'd been, he's manager at Chelsea, Norwich, all of them, Jim Duffy had, and he said in... in the 34 years he's been in football, he's never seen someone be able to run around past pass and then suddenly his knee just implodes on it on itself. He said he'd never seen it. So then when I seen this and I was reading the sheets, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Um, so me and my dad sat there. We had a conversation with him. We brought this stuff back up the road and I showed it to my manager. He was just as shocked as I was. He was reading it like, what is this and where has it been for the last year? Um... So then by this point, though, I'd been injured for 14 months probably. Um, and then the next operation that I was getting was going to be a major one. It was going to be at least 12 months out again. And so I'd had to make the decision right there and then whether I was going to get get this operation and, and go because by this point, my contract was up in two months and Morton weren't going to pay the, pay for the operation. The PFA weren't too happy about that. Um so me and my dad decided to make the decision to get the money together and 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 go and do it, and then the rest is the rest is uh, history. <laughs> How much did it cost? Um, yeah, the professor when I was in there could see I I wasn't too sure about getting it because I knew even even if I got it and it worked, I'd have been injured for over two and a bit years. For a manager to come and even want to take the risk on you after that is a lot, and I'm wasting my time where I could maybe go to college or maybe go and get a job. So he actually done some of the cartilage on my kneecap for free. So I think it came down to like, I think it was probably seven or eight grand then by that point. Um, so like I said, he he done me a favour and, and and made it a little bit cheaper. If he's listening, he will of course want to shout out. What was the surgeon's name who who cured you? Uh, Professor Adrian Wilson. He used a lot of my stuff on his own website and on their own stuff because of how well everything went and and how my rehab went. So. It was good for him to have that type of stuff to to keep as well because when I'd done a lot of research on the injury, um, 
after I found out what it really was, the quote was nightmare for footballers, and I could not find the player anywhere who who'd had it. I was searching on Premier League players who'd had it or this had had it, and they, I just couldn't find anyone. Just the only quote I could find was nightmare for footballers. So that that was the worst part. Okay, so this operation happens in April 2017. Yeah, it's a 12-month rehab and. The rehab was split with Connor, as he said, he wasn't offered a new contract at Morton, but he did some rehab in Dublin and did a lot of rehab as well with the club, even though he wasn't a signed player. That brings you to April of 2018 of, of last year, just gone. We're now, of course, in 2019, and you're back in Dublin and you're fit, but you're doing some rehab on your own as well. You're in, in the gym down there in Manahide United, there at, uh, at Gannon Park, and you're trying to find a club, but it takes a while for that phone call to come, and it does come from Glen Torren. And the manager, Ronnie, lost his job recently or resigned anyway. and you eventually signed for them and it's been really good up there but when you were back here you must have been wondering what's the call going to come and when the call did come and, and everything went really well you went up the road and signed there and played your first game you, you must have thought whoa that 28 months was yeah. I'm not going to say worth it but I'm back now yeah well I actually by the end of it I I like you said I'd done the first part of my rehab I'd done the first seven months of it in the gym in Malahide with a guy that I always use Clive Layden is a strength and conditioning coach in um Platinum James, so I, I went to him, I've seen him probably two, three times a week doing my own work, and then I was in the Dublin Sports Sanctuary Clinic in... Um, Sanctuary? Sanctuary, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so I was getting stuff off them as well, so then I went back to Morton, I had another couple of months starting to train and play, and then Jim Duffy actually let me do a uh, coaching over there, so I started to take the reserves for a little bit, I was taking the sessions and then joining in, so it was nice to be able to full-time without having the intensity and pressure of a force team who are building up the games so I got to that point um, then Jim Duffy had left um, Morton I'd come home and then yeah like you said looking for a club I, I'd spoke to one or two and they just weren't willing to take that risk obviously the League of Ireland was in the middle of that season then so for me to come in without a pre-season not being tested only played two reserve games in Scotland it just wasn't um wasn't possible to get in anywhere and then like I said one, two clubs actually phoned me up north Newry C and Glen Torn um, and I agreed to play in a in a game for Newry and then 20 minutes after I spoke to the manager there Glen Torn manager phoned me and I had to phone the Newry manager to politely politely decline and went up and played went to try and play a their last pre-season game at Glen Torn and the game got rained off the weather was horrendous and the game got called off after half an hour so I got in the car with my dad sat back on my seat and went, <laughs> I went this isn't for me dad like it, it, even even that the last chance someone had to get to see me before the season starts and the game got called off with the weather but um, Ronnie knew a lot of people in Scotland and he's been in the game a long time and he phoned around and uh I got a couple of good recommendations and he was willing to take the chance on me for uh, six months. There's a great word, politefully. Politefully, yeah. Connor uh, quickly corrected himself. <laughs> number 16 for Glen Torn as well. You signed and we mentioned earlier on about the number of yellow cards you had. Is it 12 now? Yeah. In how many games? <laughs> probably less than double that. <laughs> okay, so uh, for a man with a, a sore knee in previous times, he, he's not afraid to tackle. No. But anyway, sorry, on a serious note though, to have played so many games and you've been really, really good, you've been man of the match countless times and the team haven't been doing too great even though you won on Saturday, but you've been putting in some quite good performances in a team that's been struggling, the manager's lost his job, but you're back playing and you're out there in a commute from Dublin to Belfast three times a week, working in a gym here as well and doing other bits and pieces. So how do you kind of sum up 
since you've signed there and the kind of madness of it all because it, it's been strange that the team haven't been very good at all but you've played and, and done really well. Yeah, well, I think that that sort of stuff went away pretty quickly. I remember after my first, I trained once on a Thursday and then the game again, the first game of the season was Cliftonville on a Saturday and I played 90 minutes. Once I got home, I actually wrote in the team WhatsApp group. They they basically knew nothing. They'd only known me for one day. And I wrote to them and said, look, lads, I know this might not mean a lot to you, but that today meant a lot to me and my family were B2-1. They are probably a little bit annoyed anyway, but um, that game there meant a lot to me personally. It was my first professional game for 28 months so I wrote that to them and then after that obviously as the season's going on <laughs> I for, I forgot about my injury now it's all about playing it's all about winning it's all about getting results um, and like I said I started off the season quite well and they offered, they, they've they even gave me a new deal since I've been up there so everything's been spot on since I've been to Glentorn and um, I'm very grateful for the opportunity they gave me Conor Pepper thanks a million onwards and upwards <laughs> yeah Exactly. That's it for another week on the That's What I Call Sport. Thank you very much for listening. And to all of our guests, more from Shane Byrne, from Padraig Harrington, and from Connor Pepper in the podcast section, 98fm.com, and to Keith and Nathan behind the scenes as well. Back bright and early next Sunday from 9, folks. We'll see you then. Have a great day. Bye-bye. 98FM. Now that's what I call sport. Get the full show every Sunday morning from 9, only on 98FM.